as a podcaster, I feel like creativity, being unique, and just taking a chance. It's freaking awesome. And I'm willing to at all costs. Well, not all, but uh, to at least make someone smile, right? Okay. Tough crowd. You know what time it is. This is Brandy J. Voices of Mother Freaking Courage. Walk the talk. And do you know who's here? Well, it's Sean Destin from Nowhere to Go But Up podcast. And guess what? This podcast here, you can't make up shit like this. But no, seriously. It's a, a little piece I put together that we did through the difficult times that may have occurred. Still pulled something off. And I just wanted to do this for him to show him that... I appreciated him every step of the way and trying to hang in there with me through my rough audio times. But hey, this man has nowhere to go but up, and he deserves it. Sean Dustin, this is for you. to come on here for quite some time now so and i guess i was like i'm just gonna ask him right now <laughs> so well, th- I didn't thanks- next day. <laughs> yeah well thanks for for asking me and uh you were on my uh hundredth episode the, re- the the 99 episode review um and I appreciate that. It went it went a little longer than I, I was anticipating it, but uh, you know, nonetheless, it was a good show and a good time. And I appreciate yeah, yeah. I appreciated you uh, coming on and, and and giving some feedback on there. Yeah, thank you. I thought it was so cool. It was your hundredth episode, so I was like, I got to be there for that. You know, <laughs> you know it kept me laughing. So, <laughs> yeah, she's funny. a she's a character. <laughs> yeah, but um. So I do, I do remember some of the stuff you talked about uh, on the, on the, um, your hundred show when you told me a little bit about your past and um, the six years that you, uh, were before your life became now, mm-hmm. that got you here. Basically yeah, what yeah. created this podcast, basically. Can you, is it okay if you tell us just a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, how far do you want me to go back? Because it's, oh, oh. it's a it's a long it's a it's a long it's a long story. Um, you know, I mean, I can I can I, I can I can I can I can condense it down um, into okay. into you know just give it an overview of sort of you know where I came from and not go too far into the details and then you know go a little bit further into the details of of you know let's say from 2010 to now. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Well, for everybody out there who doesn't know who I am or, you know, because I'm really nobody. I'm just just a regular everyday average guy, you know, a blue collar dude um, that decided to start a podcast and change his life at one point. Um, You know, I grew up in the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area. I'm from Northern California, and that's where I currently reside now. I uh, my parents come from a broken home uh, and an abusive home as well. And, uh, my parents divorced when I was five 
Um, and I, that was the trauma that I experienced in my life. And that kind of like, you know, made me, I was an angry kid, got in a lot of trouble, um, was a bully, did a lot of, uh, you know, harmful things, um, got involved in, in methamphetamine. Well, it was crank back then. Uh, but I got involved in that when I was about 16. Um, you know, I got expelled from, from numerous schools, uh, coming up, you know, in junior high, I, I, I got expelled from three schools, four schools, yeah, about four, four different schools. Uh, just, just angry, man, angry at the world and angry at my parents. And I just was, didn't know how to express it. Didn't understand how to operate in a way that was, um, healthy or, or conducive to, being a, a healthy, productive kid. And so I went through that for quite some time. I got involved in the, uh, the, ju the, ju the juvenile justice system, uh, went to juvenile hall, went to the boys ranch, did a 151 there, 151 days. Uh, I think when I was about 17, no, when I was about, I think I was 16 when I did that. And then I got another violation and I had to go to a group home, uh, treatment center uh, for about 16 months. Uh, got out of that, went into the emancipation house where it was like a, it was almost like a, a, a halfway house. Um, did all right there, you know, had a job, was uh, working and moved in with my brother who at the time I didn't realize was uh, becoming my sister. Uh, and that was, that was, uh, interesting and not, not that I have anything against trans folks, but you know, when you, when it's your family member, I think a lot of people don't understand that it's a completely different dynamic, especially if it's, you know, I used to play basketball with my brother, I used to look up to him and, you know, all of a sudden here she is. And it was, uh, it was, it was really difficult for me. So, um, we stopped talking for a long time. Uh, after that, went back to my mom's, ended up going to Sacramento, California. About this time, we're, I think we're probably around 90, uh, mid-90s. Had a job, wasn't using meth anymore, um, hadn't started back up again yet, and then I did. And so I started selling drugs in Sacramento, was in the rave scene, uh, was in the party scene, spent a lot of time around strip clubs, spent a lot of time after hours parties, hosting after hours parties. Uh, you know, literally my, my week was uh, Sunday through, or actually Tuesday through Sunday, I was at a club selling drugs or at a strip club selling drugs. And Sundays were the, or Mondays were the only days that there was nothing going on. So that would be the day that the day that I, uh, uh, would rest or get sleep or whatever, whatever you want to call it. Cause you know, when you're, you're doing drugs and partying all the time, there's not a whole lot of uh, sleep that's going on. Uh, you know, I, I got involved with strippers because I was a very manipulative person. I looked at people as, uh, stepping stones to where I needed to go, not necessarily looking at them as people, but as, um, pawns in sort of my, my game and my manipulation and the easiest ones, the easiest things for me to manipulate at that time were women. And if I didn't want to work, I would just hook up with a stripper that was making plenty of money that I didn't have to work. And, 
you know, I, that's just how I operated. And, you know, I, I, everything was, was done in my life to facilitate what I needed and what I wanted and what anybody else wanted or needed really didn't make, did, I didn't care about it. Um, and once I was done with you and, 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 you know, I could no longer get anything from you, I would discard you and move on to the next one. So, you know, very manipulative, uh, narcissistic, um, you know, we all hear those words. Uh, we all know what a narcissist is. Um, there's different varying levels to narcissism. Um, not everybody is full blown, uh, Donald Trump narcissist, but you know, <laughs> or, or sociopathic narcissist. Cause there's those levels of it too. But I had probably three, three level, three different, uh, traits of that. And the, the only thing that saved me is that I had empathy. And like when I would do things, I would feel bad about it. And if I would hurt people, I would feel bad about it. Um, and that's why I stayed high all the time, because if I was high, I wouldn't have to think about the things that I did. Um, I wouldn't have to think about the people that I hurt. You know, I could just continue going on and, you know, discard you as I, as I needed. You know, that continued until I got my uh, my daughter's, my first daughter's mom pregnant. Um, and I, we were in Sacramento. It was probably 99 by now, uh, 1999. And uh, I had gotten into some funk with, with uh, somebody. And it was one of those things where it was going to either be me or him uh, that was going to walk away the next time. And it probably wasn't going to be me. And I knew that. And I was kind of a coward and I decided, well, let's just, let's just, let's run, <laughs> you know, let's, let's run away. And, you know, my girlfriend at the time, she was pregnant and I'm like, well, you're not going to start showing until probably six or seven months. And we got about six or seven months. So let's move to Vegas. There's plenty of strip clubs there. There's plenty of places for you to work so you can support me. <laughs> um, and so that's what we did. We moved to Vegas. She started working. She, you know, uh, started showing uh, probably around seven months because she was small. Um, and so she could, she played it off until she was about seven months pregnant. I, I was working off and on. I'd had a job um, and uh, had the, had our daughter. Her name is Jordan. Um, and around the time when she was 18 months, you know, and I was cheating on her and I was doing all these things, you know, while I was there, I stayed drunk most of the time, you know? So, I mean, most of my life, I, it didn't even matter if I was doing okay. I was always using substances as a crutch, you know, whatever it was, whether, whatever I can get my hands on. If I, if, it, if there was no, if there was no drugs then I would drink, if there was no, uh, it just, I just constantly would use things to numb myself and kind of hide from whatever it was I was hiding from. And that lasted till about, I would say probably 2001, um, me and her split up. Uh, we had some other, I had, I did something, um, uh, partying and, and she let me use her car, her vehicle. And I ended up, uh, taking out a light pole with it and she did, and she let her insurance lapse. And so I ended up costing her like 18,000 bucks that she was on the hook for, uh, because I had to total it. Right. And it, she didn't have, it wasn't paid for. It was, uh, you know, she was on a loan. And so that was kind of like the last straw for her. And she had 
she took me to court to have my uh, rights terminated for my daughter, right? My parental rights. And at the time I was like, well, you know what? I don't care. I'm, I'm too busy partying. Um, it, it, I, at least I don't have to pay child support now. Uh, you know, all of these things that, you know, I tried to, ex- you know, make excuses for, um, to justify my actions. Um, I'd gotten a DUI up to this point. Um, what else? Uh, yeah. So I skipped over a lot, but just because it's, uh, there's yeah. the, the, the story is so elaborate yeah. that, that we would be here for three hours if I, if I didn't, <laughs> yeah. I mean, just enough to get us to, you know, so people can just, you know, learn that, you know, a little bit about how you got to okay. nowhere, nowhere to go, but <laughs> <laughs> all right. So yeah, um, that happened. And then I ended up moving to, I took a job in, in, uh, Phoenix, Arizona. So from Las Vegas, Nevada, I went to Phoenix, Arizona, uh, thought that by moving locations that, you know, things were going to magically change for me. Well, you know, they sell alcohol everywhere. So, (laughs) you know, uh, that things didn't change. You know, I stayed drunk the whole time I was there because I was grieving the loss of my daughter because I knew that that was like, that I fucked up, you know? Um, and that it, uh, it, it affected me. And so that lasted for about six months, went back to Vegas, moved in with some friends. Um, they moved back to California. So I was literally, I, I didn't have a job. I was like almost, almost like falling off. Right. I found myself in a, a weekly in North Las Vegas that was infested with roaches. And so I was living in, in this, this, this ghetto ass spot. And I was like, well, what do I need to do? Well, I did what I normally do. Right. Let's go work. Let's go find a job to get you into a strip club. Cause there's tons of them there. And then that way you can start that process of trying to find another fucking victim, right? Another, another Mark. And I did, and I ended up, uh, meeting this one girl and that was my third, my third relationship, um, long-term relationship. And we, uh, she invited me over to her house and when I got there, she was rolling a glass pipe, smoking uh, meth. And so, are you there? Brandy, you there? Or did you freeze up? All right. Well, anyway, I'm going to keep going because we we got the recording on on your end as well. So um, she was she was smoking methamphetamine. And as soon as I I walked into the um, into the to the house and I saw that I was like, I need to move. Uh, I need to leave. All right. Let's let's get out of here. Let's get out of here. But my feet weren't doing that. My brain was saying, walk away, walk away but my body was, was walking right towards it. And, uh, I, uh, started, I went and got high again. And then that's, that spurred, you know, that was about 2000, maybe 2002. And so from 2002 to 2004, I was basically selling methamphetamine, uh, doing methamphetamine. I was, I created a criminal enterprise around me. 
uh, had people, you know, doing smashing grabs for me. Um, and I was paying them in, in meth. And in around 2004, I ended up getting raided, uh, cause somebody turned on me and the guy that I was getting all of my stuff from basically, uh, just uh turned on me basically you know i mean he was he got busted and he sent a confidential informant to me i sold five times to this guy and they were investigating me the whole time i was being tailed i was being uh monitored or whatever they call it surveillanced and then one night about three o'clock in the morning i had a, a buddy over my girlfriend and her friend were asleep in our room i was in the back room of a townhouse, uh, working on a hundred dollar bill. Cause I was counterfeiting hundreds at the time. And I heard some explosions. Um, the door was shut and, and the, the, the TV was on pretty loud. Cause I had a bunch of, I had a bunch of surround sound speakers all over the place from people that were, that stole them and sold them to me. And, I just, I thought someone was doing a drive-by for some reason, right? And uh, I come out up to this point, I, I had a bunch of guns um, and they knew that I was heavily armed because they would, when I would get out of my car, I would pull my, my gun from underneath the seat, put it in my back. And when I get in a car, I'd put it back under. And so they were surveilling me and they would see this. So they, they, they came in pretty heavy because they knew that I could be armed and I had gotten rid of all of my weapons, all my guns that were stolen prior to that, just because I felt like something was going on. I, I just felt like my time was up and you know, that there was something happening and I, I didn't know, but I just had this feeling. So sure enough, uh, you know, I, they, they put some, they throw some con con concussion grenades in and they, and a flashbang, they thought I was in the living room, which I wasn't. I was in the back room, so none of those affected me. And I opened the door up. I grabbed my gun. I opened the door up. Like I said, I thought somebody was uh, like doing a drive-by or something. And I went down the hallway. And when you go down the hallway, at the end of it, you look to the right, and there's the front door. Well, I had one of those big-ass, uh, big-screen TVs in the... Uh, in front of the door, like the old school ones that were like 3000 pounds and were like six feet tall. So the door wouldn't open up all the way. So they couldn't see me, but I could, I was, I went through the, around the corner, I could see them and my arm was down with the gun in my hand. So immediately, as soon as I saw the SWAT shields, I threw the gun behind the TV and I dove on the ground and put my hands behind my head interlaced. Um, and so they didn't, they, you know, if they would have seen that gun, that, that would have been it, man. Lights out uh, cancel Christmas, cancel everything. <laughs> There's no coming back from that one. And, uh, yeah, so I, I didn't get caught with it. The gun had the serial numbers filed off of it. And I probably would have got five years for that. Um, but what ended up happening is you know, I threw it on the ground behind the TV. I was being a smart ass, you know, when they, when they got in there, they hogtied me and I didn't realize that they're, uh, because at the time I, I had a double pane glass window and the first one that they tried to shoot in the flashbang, they tried to shoot in from the front of the house. I had tinted windows from the inside. So it went through the first pane and then it didn't make it through the second one and it bounced back on them and blew up on them.
and their police dog got scared and bit one of the officers. And so they were pissed when they got in. Um, it was, uh, uh, I, and I laughed. I, I thought it was funny and they got, they didn't think it was very funny. They picked me up and they rammed my head into the, uh, big screen, into the screen of the big screen TV. When they did that, it pushed it, this, the TV up over the gun and it hid the gun. So they never found it. And so that saved me five years. Cause that's a five year automatic charge right there. Um, so yeah, that's kind of, you know, when I went to prison or when I went first time I got arrested, uh, for, for felonies, right. They let me out two days later on my own recognizance. Cause I didn't have any, uh, I didn't have any, uh, felonies prior to that. So I don't know why they did that, but when they let me out, I realized that they didn't find the drugs or the, or the money because I had them hidden in a, uh, a TV VCR combo that was up, up near the ceiling in the corner of, of one of the rooms that I was, you know, doing the, uh, the counterfeiting in. And when they brought the police dog in there, they couldn't, they, the police dog couldn't sniff up that high and, and smell it out. So when I got out, I had my money and I had the drugs enough to, to make some more money. And I, we moved to a different spot, different location. And, uh, I, from that point on, I was like, well, they're going to have to catch me if they can. I'm not, I'm not turning myself in. And, uh, you know, honestly, I think I was just, I don't know what I was trying to do, um, from all of the different times that I'd almost died up to this point, that was the fourth time. Um, you know, I had three overdoses, uh, ODs up to that point and hold on. Brandy came out of this, so I'm, I'm continuing. So we still get the recording and she can edit it out, um, afterwards. So I'm trying to, I'm, I'm trying to hit her up to see where she's at right now. All right. So she's, so she'll be here at some point. So yeah. Um, I, yeah. So I, I vowed not, I'm going to have to catch me if they can. Um, and you know, I started do, doing other cr types of crimes. I wasn't selling drugs anymore, but I was doing, uh, more of you know, doing checks, um, cashing checks, making checks. And, uh, I figured out a way to do some other stuff, uh, with credit card numbers and, you know, uh, some other things. I can't really talk about it cause I didn't get caught for it. And I definitely don't want to, uh, <laughs> to, to, I don't know what the statute of limitations is on it, but I, I don't want to end up back in, in prison. So I'm not going to mention it. Uh, but at some point, you know, when I came back from, uh, we, I went on a run on a crime spree, uh, through a couple of States and came back. And when I got back, there was, uh, I ended up getting taxed by some dude who said he was with the hell's angels. And I, uh, he, it was, it, it was kind of crazy. Um, but what ended up happening is we showed back up, uh, my roommate at the time who never really cares about what we're doing. Um, and, and where we are, you know, she kept calling and asking, Hey, when are you going to be back? When are you going to be back? 
And so that was kind of like a red flag to me. And I was like, all right, something's going on. Something's not right. So I took all of the cash that I had on me and I stashed it somewhere at a friend's house before we came back to, before we came up and they, uh, sure enough, man, we start, we start getting high, smoking some drugs. And, um, the guy that's there, who's, it's my roommate. It's who's, who's a chick. There's another guy, her friend, Steve, who's the one that set all this up because he was like a hang around for the Hells Angels. So he was trying to like earn his stripes and he was a little punk. And uh, the the actual guy that, you know, uh, like strong armed me and uh, we're sitting there and all of a sudden he pulls a gun out and he's like, hey, man, uh, yeah, well, this is what's happening. Get on the ground you and your girl get on the ground and, and, uh, you know, I'm, you're, you're being taxed and I'm like, okay, whatever that means. And so he split it, he split us up and he started interrogating us and, uh, separately. And I just, finally, I was just like, look, dude, man, I mean, if you're going to kill us and just do it, otherwise, you know, you're not going to get anything cause there's nothing to get. Uh, you're kind of stupid by doing what you're doing because if you just work with me, you see what you see, what I got going on. Uh, you're going to get a lot more out of out of this if you work with me and, and instead of doing what you're doing, because you're not going to get anything right now today other than maybe the Cannondale a, a bike or, or, you know, maybe a computer or or something else. But, you know, if you work with me, um, then we can we can work something out. The main point was, is that I was trying to manipulate his ass into getting out of the house uh, without any issue. Um, and he did, he fell for it and he was like, okay, that's cool. Let's do it. Let's do that. All right. And, uh, when he did that, I went and, uh, created a, an identity or I had already had one, but the assumed identity I was using, I was able to buy, purchase a, a shotgun, uh, at big five and I did, and I was going to kill the dude. Literally I was going to kill him. That, I mean, that's how out of my mind I was. It was like, that was premeditated. I, you know, I, I, had the ID. I had everything that I needed to do. I went into the store. I mean, that's pretty ballsy to, to go into a store to buy a firearm in, in a, an identity that I created with an ID that I created, um, because I, I really wanted to kill this person. And actually the day that I went and picked it up, um, I ended up getting arrested. So if that's not, intervention from from whatever the universe whatever you want to call it i don't know what is man because if i would have done that then i would have ended my life you know pretty much uh i would have ended up doing like 25 to life i mean that was a premeditated act so i mean who knows i may even got life prison life in prison for it um so yeah i ended up getting busted um at a hotel room cheating on my ex or, or my my girlfriend at the time and um you know, I'd, I'd made some mistakes, uh, you know, in what I was doing. And so I went to prison for, uh, I went to prison for three years total, but what I didn't count on is the fraud and forgery guy that came to the first time I got raided, he had recognized me and he's like, Oh, we've been looking for you. Uh, we know you've got some more stuff. I mean, look at what you're doing now. I mean, you just literally from what you were doing to what, like you just leveled your game up completely. And he's like, I know you got more stuff. I know you got more things at your place. Cause I remember the last place that you were at, 
Um, he's like, so if you give me everything that you have, take me to your, to your low, to your residence and give me everything that you have. And I won't charge you for any of this that, that you got going on here today. And I'm like, okay, that's a pretty good deal. Uh, he's like, but you're still going to, you, you still got an outstanding warrant for those five, five counts of, uh, trafficking a controlled substance. And so I'm like, all right, well, I, I can work with that. And I mean, I knew the game was up anyways. I already knew that I wasn't going to go anywhere. My freedom was, was, was done at that point. Uh, I just wanted to get to a bed and go to sleep. Cause I've been, I've been awake for probably three or four days. And so I took him to the pad. What I didn't realize is he had a, he had a secret service guy doing a ride along with him. And that secret service guy, uh, charged me with a federal crime for the firearm. And then he also, they found, uh, 30 credit card numbers in a box that I didn't even realize that I had in the back of the Durango that I had rented in that assumed identity as well. So I got charged with the 30 credit cards and the firearm. And then I still had the other, uh, charges that were hanging over my head, um, for the state. Uh, I took him, I took him back to the, uh, to the pad, and gave him everything that he needed. Uh, and then he took me to, to jail. Uh, I, once again, I took the fall for everything because I mean, yeah, it was me that had everything, but, uh, the girl that I was with at the time, uh, I guess she found out from somebody that, you know, I was screwing some chick and I got at that, a hotel room when I was, uh, you know, then when I got busted. And so I went, I spent, 18 months, uh, in state prison, uh, went to high desert in, uh, in Nevada. Then I went, moved to Indian Springs, which is a lower, a lower, uh, uh, security level. And then from there I paroled out to the federal system, uh, went to Sheridan, Oregon for another 18 months. And then when I paroled out of there, I went back to my mom's in the Bay area and so this is about 2006. So from 2006 to 2010 is a period where I was doing okay. I got into the union that I'm in now as an apprentice. Um, I kind of, and then 2008 hit where the financial crisis lost my job, was on unemployment, had way too much time on my hands. And I, I really, I had this thing in me, man. Like I knew, cause I just touched on credit card fraud and when, but before I went to prison and I knew that there was this thing out there that I could do called carding. And it was, you know, knowing how to print out your own cards, you know, with, with blank cards with a mag stripe on the back. Um, so you use a card printer and you print these things out. And then I had, a, I knew you could emboss them, you know, and, and do all, you can make it, you can make a credit card. And you could buy the information online to encode the back with other people's credit card information. So I knew this was out there and I had, you know, the universe is pretty powerful, man. When you put something out there and you're intentional about it, it usually will find its way to you or you'll find your way to it. And that happened. And the guy that I got hooked up with, he basically um, taught me how to do all this stuff. Right. And. I was doing that for probably, I would say from 2008 to 2010 and I had gotten married in between this, uh, disappeared from that marriage for third, for three months. I just went AWOL for my marriage. I, I took off and was in this, the, in the, the under 
seedy underbelly of the uh, meth and, and uh, crime world of San Francisco. Track facility for the federal system. And I decided before, like maybe six weeks to, to a month before I had to turn myself in, that I was going to stop doing drugs and stop uh, smoking cigarettes. And I did that because I didn't want to be kicking while I was in, in jail and uh, in a, a little bit more of a dangerous situation, I believe, um, when you go to county jail versus uh, prison, because prison, there's a little bit more structure and there's some politics in there where you can't just go and touch anybody. You have to run it by the the shot caller. And, you know, usually if in there is, if anybody's going to put hands on you, it's going to be your own kind or your own people. So if you get into a funk with, uh, you know, let's say the blacks, um, you know, the shot caller from the blacks will get with the shot caller from the whites and be like, all right, well, this is what happened. And, you know, let it to, to prevent a, a, a race riot, your people will, discipline you basically so they'll go touch you up uh you know beat you up basically and you know to prevent that from happening um and so i don't know where i was going with that but that's what ended up happening i did my violations and i got out and so i'm gonna Yay! excuse me where do you think you're going <laughs> no 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 it's not over yet. You're welcome. <laughs> hey there, thank you for tuning back in. This is your girl Brandy J, Voices of Courage. Walk the talk. I just want to give another shout out to Sean Dustin from Nowhere to Go But Up podcast. Amazing name. And you always have cool cool guests and just so active within your podcast and and you're about what you what you're about and you're so open and so transparent when you talk about your story and I really appreciate that you know you're a go-getter you're no bullshitter and uh, I can respect that so on that note I would like to say to Sean Dustin thanks for stopping by but guess what I'm gonna need to talk to you again because we got to do this badass part Two. Yeah, people, I said it. Part two. I'm just busting you guys' chops. Had to give Sean some laugh time, you know? Laughter's key. And so next time, this is your girl, Brandy J, Voices of Courage. And this was my episode with Sean Dustin, Nowhere to Go But Up. Peace. <laughs>